Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Vita Podcast, where we help educate military veterans and their spouses on opportunities in Web3. Our plan is to host a series of industry leaders, many of whom are veterans or spouses themselves, so that we can learn about their journey down the crypto rabbit hole while understanding opportunities for transitioning veterans in the industry. I'm Chris Perkins, president of CoinFund. I'm a combat marine veteran who spent 15 years on Wall Street before transitioning into the crypto space. And before we begin, I would like to thank our sponsor, Luca, who's dedicated their time and resources to make this podcast possible. For our 29th episode, we'll be speaking with Army veteran Brent Gerundo, Vice President, Head of Finance and Operations at Masari. Welcome, Brent. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. Awesome, man. Tell us about your background. Yeah, so for the past three years or so, uh, I've been at Masari, uh, joining uh, as the first finance hire, uh, and growing, you know, through the ranks uh, and uh, taking on the title of uh, VP Head of Finance and Ops over the summer. So uh, broadly responsible for uh, finance operations and uh, people ops slash human resources uh, at the company. Um, before joining Masari. Uh, I, I was obviously in the military for four years uh, with Army Special Forces, uh, got my MBA at Wharton, and uh, spent some time in investment banking at Goldman Sachs before coming over to the startup world. Awesome. Tell us about your military experience. So I started uh, my military experience uh, through ROTC. Uh, I went to Ohio State. Growing up, I have a long history of military service in my family. Uh, my grandfather was in World War II. My father was a C-130 pilot in the Navy. So I think even from you know five, six years old, it was always a dream of mine to join the military, uh, to serve my country. It's just something that was always present uh, and something I wanted to do. So when I started at Ohio State, uh, it was an obvious choice to join ROTC. I think my father was a little bit upset that uh, I, I joined the Army rather than the Navy, but uh, yeah, I felt it was the right choice at the time. Uh, did my four years of ROTC at Ohio State uh, and ultimately commissioned into the Quartermaster Corps. Uh, I, I think as I kind of explored the different branches through uh, through ROTC, through you know all the all the processes and camps. I think it was called LDAC back then. It's a little bit different, but it was always kind of drawn to the logistics angle of the military, uh, the critical role that it plays uh, in modern warfare. Uh, so, upon commissioning, uh, went to went to my officers course uh, and got really the first big change of my career. Um, you know, I was supposed to go to an engineering unit. Uh, got got a, a kind of lucky assignment to a special operations group a fifth special forces group out of fort campbell uh so next thing i know is off to uh off to airborne school and then headed to fort campbell kentucky to uh to work in the um the support battalion there once i got to fort campbell uh you know again spent spent around a year getting my bearings um and then in 2014 2015 i uh, got the really exciting opportunity to participate in the syria train and equip mission uh where army special operations were supporting um you know moderate syrian rebels as well as kurdish forces uh throughout syria and in, in the battle against the islamic state so Next thing I knew, uh, I was part of the Torch Party, uh, heading out to Jordan to start setting up this operation. Um, so, grew from you know the three of us on the ground to eventually you know, a, a massive organization. I, th I think over a thousand people spread across five countries. Uh, ultimately, responsible for delivering around seven hundred million dollars of lethal and non-lethal aid um, to those who are fighting against ISIS in Syria. 
yeah, I, I guess aid, it's hard to make aid not, a non-lethal, right? <laughs> Lethal aid is a, kind of a contradiction, but um, wow. It sounds like one heck of an experience. I'm going to start with a couple of questions. So how many times did you guys uh, beat Michigan when you were at Ohio State? We beat Michigan every single time I was at Ohio State, which was um, uh, an incredible experience. I went to Navy. We lost four years in a row to Army. It was awful. Um, so so can, can you talk about any kind of experiences, whether it was in Syria or Jordan, um, that really shaped your career going forward or any particular challenges you overcame? Uh, there, there are really too many to count, but I think even looking at that first experience, um, I think within, within the military, there's a general tendency to kind of be handed a lot of a, kind of an open-ended problem and have to kind of just figure things out, you know, limited resources, limited time, et cetera. And you, you really just have to hack together a workable solution. Uh, when I, when I came over to Jordan on the torch party, it was a, it was a captain and then a, another soldier that was with us. And we really had uh, nothing, uh, nothing to speak of in terms of resources. We had ourselves, we had some limited contracting support from CENTCOM and then kind of a budget to go make things work. Um, and from there it was, you know, really being on the ground, um, you know, meeting with Jordanian officials, kind of, you know, putting together a solution, uh, working with the government, working with local contractors, um, working with military resources to kind of bring something together out of nothing. I think from, I think from the day we landed to uh, the time the first planes of aid were touching down in Jordan, that was around uh, two months. So just kind of go from, you know, nothing to a, a base in the desert capable of receiving, um, you know, large military cargo planes and storing equipment, just uh, just had to, you know, kind of be quick on my feet, work with the resources you have and kind of piece the puzzle together. Uh, I think that's that's something that really help, has helped throughout my career, just that, that willingness to kind of embrace the suck, put the piece of the puzzle together and, and get the job done at the end of the day. Yeah, I think like experiences like that are so invaluable. And I don't think a lot of civilians understand the amount of responsibility you know, a young, a young army captain has as he's like, you know, one of the first into, into Jordan to prepare to take ISIS down. That's just an incredible story. Yeah, it's, uh, that's something that's it's something that, you know, you, you step into, I think it, it's one thing that folks struggle with, with the transition a lot is going from, uh, you know, somewhere where you have an enormous amount of, uh, enormous amounts of responsibility and maybe a little bit less know-how of how to get things done. And uh, I think as I've, as I've transitioned and as I went through my MBA program, especially investment banking, it's kind of like the roles are reversed where you actually have to kind of, you know, take that humility that you gain from the, from the military, but really focus on becoming the master of your craft. Um, and then, you know, the responsibility grows with time. So having the patience there has been uh, is a key part of the transition. Yeah, so let's talk about the transition. So you came back, and it sounds like you pivoted into uh, get your MBA. Is that right? Yeah, as I was in the military, uh, did did two deployments. Uh, after the first one, kind of had started setting my sights in the horizon. What was next? Uh, and to me, you know, getting an MBA was the the most logical step. You build an incredible amount of leadership and operations experience being in the military. Um, a lot of, you know, a, a lot of just, you know, ability to get the, the grit and the ability to get the job done, but building up that base business acumen was something that was really important to me. I know there are a lot of 
a lot of ways to transition, you know, whether going directly to a job, uh, taking on some of these, uh, the mentorship programs as you go through your transition. But to me, um, going to business school, building that network and just getting a formal education was, uh, was incredibly important. In undergrad, I studied uh, Arabic and international relations. So that none of that really translated to, uh, to a career in investment banking. Yeah, I think I talked to a ton of veterans and they try to decide, do I go to business school or, or, or grad school or do I go directly in to, to work? I, I didn't. I, w- I, went, I went directly to work at the desk. In some ways, I, I regret it because business school gives you a couple of things. It gives you time to actually think about what, what it is you want to do. And it also gives you an incredible network. I mean, the Wharton Network is no, nothing short of spectacular and networks, you know, drive your career so. You know, I made a different choice, um, but you you made the choice to go to Wharton. Um, tell us about your transition from there. How did you end up at Goldman Sachs? When I started at Wharton, I think the the obvious dichotomy of choices is you know, consulting and investment banking, uh, especially as a career switcher. Those are the two careers that probably 75% plus of folks choose to go after. And to me, I was always really drawn to investment banking. Um, Coming from the military, you know, you go to schools, you build out certain skill sets, you get qualifications, um, and that's that's kind of how the whole system works. To me, I viewed investment banking, and this is also the reason I chose to study uh, their majors at Wharton. I, I did a double major in finance and accounting. But to me, yeah, I, I felt I had the leadership experience. I had the operations experience. But getting a really tangible technical skill set with finance and accounting was was my number one priority. Um, and I, I viewed going to Goldman or, you know, I was open to any investment bank. You recruited all of them, but was, uh, you know, almost, almost viewed that as getting a second MBA. Uh, you spend a year there in the trenches, you know, working, working hundred plus hour weeks, and you just can't replicate that experience, uh, anywhere else really. No, I agree. I think starting your career at a big bulge bracket bank is like working in a university because there's so much resource, so much to learn. I went to Lehman. I felt the same way. But tell us about your role at Goldman. And then, you know, why did you pivot away from Goldman? So coming from the military, especially military logistics was always drawn towards, um, you know, transportation logistics and aerospace defense. So I decided to join the industrials group at Goldman, which was much more broad than those two sectors, but I was actually uh, placed onto the transportation logistics coverage team there, which really uh, in hindsight started my path uh, towards the startup world. Um, you know, surprisingly enough, um, wor- worked on a lot of, you know, larger transportation logistics uh, clients, you know, the truckers, uh, uh, railways, um, you know, freight brokerage, stuff like that. About you know four or five months into my experience there, uh, covering transportation logistics, got a really unique opportunity uh, that came out of Goldman's Cross Markets Group, which was focused on middle market banking um, and almost growth equity. Uh, so working with a startup uh, in the freight brokerage industry, a, a digital freight broker that was looking to raise uh, a Series C funding round. Um, so a lot earlier stage than you would typically get exposure to in banking. But uh, when when I started working with the team, I think it was a smaller deal. So got a lot more uh, face time as an associate uh, with with the CEO, with the team. Um, and that was a really transformational experience, just seeing um, how startups worked, uh, obviously as an external advisor, but being able to work with a, 
you know, a broad swath of the team there. Um, and after going through that process, it was cemented in my mind that startups were the right move for me. Uh, and that I really wanted to kind of take take those learnings uh, from from my time at Goldman and apply it uh, kind of more cross functionally at a startup. So um, earlier early on in the uh, in the COVID uh, COVID era, um, came across an in home health startup called Ready Responders that was doing uh, in home healthcare uh, and COVID testing focused on the Medicare Medicaid population. And uh, met the CFO at the time there, Keith Patterson, who uh, invited me to come over as the company's first finance hire um, and jumped on that opportunity and have been in the uh, startup finance game ever since. How did you get into crypto? Crypto was a long winding road for me. Um, uh, I I think uh, at Wharton, Wharton has a pretty robust uh, blockchain club and Penn in general has a pretty robust blockchain club. Um, So started getting exposure uh, 2016, 2017, um, started learning a little bit about it on the side tangentially um, and thought it was really interesting. At the time, uh, you know, at the at the time and place I was, you know, transitioning from the military to MBA, I think it was just way too early in my career to really wrap my head around uh, and also find a way to meaningfully participate in the space. So it was, you know, somewhat of a personal interest starting from, you know, the time I learned about it in my MBA uh, until uh, really 2020, 2021, when you had the emergence of DeFi. Um, And once I started seeing uh, DeFi, especially the collateralized lending protocols, I started connecting the dots between, um, you know, collateralized lending on on platforms like Aave and Maker and what was available to some of Goldman's customers, especially, you know, putting up equity as collateral, using that to fund the lifestyles. And I saw just an enormous opportunity to take, you know, productive assets like staked Ether um, and use that to uh use that to fund you know real real day-to-day uh lifestyle needs when i saw that and saw the the power of making that available to everyone um kind of in in a permissionless way uh that's when that's when crypto really clicked and i decided i wanted to make a career of it um and at the time that i joined masari um i was at uh, the startup that i mentioned earlier ready responders um started you know Things started to slow down a bit there, um, just as you know, crypto is really picking up, and uh, was connected to Masari via a friend, and uh, decided to take a look, and uh, haven't looked back since. Awesome. Tell tell listeners. So, uh, full disclosure, we're investors in Masari, uh, but would love to hear in your own words, Brent. Like, tell us about what Masari does and the value it adds to the ecosystem. Masari's mission is to bring uh, transparency to the crypto economy. Uh, and how I like to explain it, especially to uh, friends of mine who work in traditional finance, we're creating a blend of almost a Bloomberg for crypto. So all the financial data that you rely on uh, to make investment decisions uh, and pairing that with Edgar, which is the uh, you know public disclosure library for crypto. So, uh, you know, if you look at all these protocols and DAOs, uh, they don't operate as traditional companies. They aren't. Uh, they aren't subject to the disclosure regimes of the SEC. So what we try to do is, you know, take a lot of that financial data that we're powering the, the Bloomberg crypto with, and set up a, a quarterly reporting environment for these uh, DAOs and protocols to come in and kind of self-disclosure 
in the lack of uh, you know more concrete guidance as we figure out the regulatory regime in the United States. Uh, tell us about a typical day for you. The biggest, you know, the biggest thing I'm sorry is, uh, especially in my role, is to kind of uh, expect the unexpected. I, I think truly every day um, we we do, you know, we do quite a bit uh, across our business lines, um, and especially in a startup environment, you're kind of always tinkering, always kind of trying, kind of trying to optimize for growth, having an openness every day to uh, kind of embracing the unexpected and seeing where it's going to take you is is a big part of the game, but. As I mentioned earlier, kind of, you know, you have the three core pillars, which is finance operations uh, and people operations. So on the finance side, I think anyone, anyone in kind of, uh, you know, traditional finance, investment banking or corporate finance will see a lot of similarities um, to, with what I do on a day to day basis with uh, with other startups. I think the most unique wrinkle for Masari is uh, is crypto we do accept crypto for payments uh, we are a core developer for the graph if you look at you know the, the whole tech stack and the whole operations stack uh for you know standard fiat payment rails we actually have kind of a, a duplicate layer there for for crypto which uh which has contributed a tremendous amount of learnings on my part uh just as you know we kind of get our hands around that participating with a lot of different with our different customers and the chains that they operate on and, and getting that back all into uh, ETH mainnet and accounting for it properly. Um, I've, I've learned a ton there. Um, operationally, I, th I think spend a lot of time thinking about um, thinking about the long term uh, vision at Masari and how we are kind of taking all these different uh, businesses that are working a lot of different cool things and tie those into uh, a cohesive uh, strategy and vision for the company. Um, that's something, you know, especially at a startup level that it, you, you, I spend a lot of time um, kind of keeping my hands around. And then people operations uh, really comes down to uh, a lot, a lot of what I learned in the military, honestly, which is performance management uh, and keeping you know, all of your stakeholders engaged and properly aligned. Got it. Sounds like the old job is a lot like the new job. When you think about your role in the army, expect the unexpected. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. I, I think um, you know, leaning into, I, I we 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 actually uh, as we were developing our OKRs, uh, the the topic of commander's intent came out, uh, which I think you know anyone in the military is familiar with, but kind of having that long term uh, clear commander's intent or strategic vision is something that, uh, you know, guides your day to day. But beyond that, uh, how you actually get from point A to point B, um, a lot of it just comes down to, um, you know, being flexible and, and doing what it takes to, uh, to get the job done and keep things moving. Sounds good, Brent. So, I mean, you've got a massive purview across the entire crypto space working at Masari. We talked about the annual report previously. What gets you the most excited about crypto? Here and now. I continue to be excited about DeFi. I know it's uh, it's taken a, a big backseat recently, um, but I do you know believe in the long term vision of DeFi. I think having uh, permissionless access to you know whether it be a Dex, whether it be a lending protocol, uh, will really you know will really open up a lot of long term economic opportunities for folks around the world, and also just enable folks around the world to. Uh, interact in a more seamless and frictionless way. Um, you know, day to day, seeing that at Masari, just being able to uh, collect money from customers and you know pay some of our contractors in crypto just makes 
life, uh, you know, much easier. And I think uh, something more emergent is uh, decentralized physical infrastructure um, and looking at how, you know, especially in the age of enormously intensive, uh, resource intensive use cases like AI or, uh, you know, looking at something like Helium where you're standing up a cellular network, uh, the ability to take something that's extremely resource intensive or capital uh, capital expenditure intensive and, um, you know, build that up in a decentralized manner, um, kind of spread the costs while also uh, economically incentivizing all the participants is something that I think will fundamentally shift uh, how quickly you know new products are brought to market. Tell me about any kind of advice you'd give to a transitioning vet. Um, so you went through business school, um, then you went to TradFi. Would you advise them to do the same thing? Would you advise them to go directly to crypto? You know, what are, what are keys for a successful transition into crypto? I think number one is really taking the time to think things out. Yeah, you mentioned this earlier, but one of the biggest benefits of business school is you have time. Um, I think that's true for any transitioning veteran. Just uh, from what I remember of the process, you know, it's a, a six to 12 month process where you identify, hey, I'm going to be leaving service and I'm going to be moving on to something new. Of course, you want to take the time to take a breathe, catch a breather, kind of get yourself in the right headspace for what's ever next. But you also want to make sure to use that that, that time uh, to to plan to plan your next moves. You know, I decided to go to business school, spend some time investing banking before switching to startups. Uh, that's you know, I, I had friends who uh, started startups right out of the military. I had friends who you know, started startups while they were at business school. Um, so if you if you just take the time and build out a, a, a good path, I think that's that's really more important than the actual specific path that you choose to take. And, you know, around risk management, I would say uh, a lot of a lot of vets uh, tend to, when they're leaving the military, go from, you know, this very reliable income stream, these great benefits to uh, maybe a little bit more uncertainty in the business world. I, I think it's don't be afraid to to bet on yourself. You know, you're, you're there for a reason. You're getting the opportunities that you have because you've earned them uh, and, you know, you you want to be sensible with with career risk management, but if there's something that you really want to do, uh, you know you have plenty of time to take a big swing on something. Yeah, I would say I'd build on that and say take take risk early in your career, right? You, you tend to have more appetite for risk the earlier you take it, and the outcomes generally are better. Uh, Brent, are you hiring right now at Masari? Is your team hiring? Is the company hiring? Yes, we uh, are almost always hiring. Um, you know, the roles the roles are uh, posted on our, on our website. So uh, would definitely encourage anyone, uh, any veteran who's looking to transition to crypto uh, to take a look at masari.io backslash careers. And, uh, if, you know, feel free to reach out to me if uh, there's anything that's interesting. I think we're hiring right now for uh, research roles uh, and engineering roles, and then uh, you know, sales and marketing opportunities will pop up um, you know, on an as-needed basis. And how can people connect with you, Brent? LinkedIn is definitely best for me. Um, LinkedIn.com uh, backslash Brent Gerundo. So you know, feel free to reach out, and I would be happy to speak about opportunities at Masari or transition-related uh, items, or really just uh, to connect. That's awesome. Any last thoughts for the listeners today? 
No, I, I mean, I, I double down. Uh, don't be afraid to take a bet on yourself. I think this is a crypto is a, a scary place. Uh, but having lived uh, the past, you know, the past full cycle in the industry and and survived to see the other side, I think uh, if it's something that really interests you long term, uh, don't be afraid to take a swing uh, and see where it takes you. It's also really fun. Uh, so I, I share your sentiments. It was, it's been a Difficult challenge for the bear market, but um, gosh, we're still seeing a ton of innovation and uh, and people like you coming into the space, Brent. So really, really appreciate your time today and your, and your thoughts. I think users really, the listeners are really going to benefit. Um, so awesome session. And we're lucky to have someone like you in the space. Uh, also want to thank our sponsor, Luca. Uh, couldn't do this without you guys uh, and really appreciate your support. And for those of you who are interested in learning more about Vita, please connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter. And uh, if you have anyone else you want to suggest to come on to the show, please reach out to me at PerkinsCR97. Thanks, Brent. Thanks, Chris.